Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here's my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we're discussing the TV show Hannibal, um, adapted by Brian Fuller from the novels by Thomas Harris, starring Mads Mikkelsen as the cannibal serial killer Hannibal Lecter and Hugh Dancy as the FBI investigator Will Graham. It's a crime procedural that rapidly evolves into a gothic thriller. Widely praised for its sumptuous aesthetic, elaborate storytelling and brilliant performances from the two leads, it's one of my favourite pieces of pop culture ever. Um, So thank you to Jessica for sponsoring this episode on Patreon. So Morgan, who... Watched she she watched the first two seasons while it was on air, but basically went off it and isn't actually into this show very much. For this episode, I gave her the homework of watching the season two episodes Takiwaze and Mizumono, which I thought were sort of key episodes, lots of interesting stuff to discuss in them. And then the kind of finale of season three. So she's not seen most of season three, but she's seen the end. We'll keep kind of finale spoilers to the end of the episode because several people have kind of contacted me being like, Can I listen to this without spoilers? There'll be general spoilers, but not for right at the end. Uh, but yeah, I thought she'd kind of enjoy the Richard Armitage and Gillian Anderson of that episode. And I may not have been correct. <laughs> <laughs> you were not correct. I did not like it at all. And we can discuss in detail at the end of the podcast. Yeah, before we started this, Morgan was like, we're going to record this podcast and never speak of this again. Because she knows that this, <laughs> this show is like my religion. <laughs> yep. I think its aesthetic project is inherently ethically indefensible. So we've got some disagreements here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just for context, I mean, you said this already. I watched the first season, I think, literally as it was airing. I feel like I watched the episodes like as they were on. Oh, I may be wrong about that. And I liked it a lot with reservations. And then I think I binged the second season because I was going to see the panel at Comic-Con, the year I went to Comic-Con. I had intended to watch it anyway, but I needed to catch up. So I binged it really quickly and liked it much less. And then I didn't like the finale of that season. And I had kind of meant to watch the third season and then just never really got around to it. And then saw those couple episodes a couple days ago, which we'll talk about at the end. So... I don't like it very much as a whole, and it is your favorite thing. So we are coming from different (laughs) perspectives. But to start off, why don't you give us some background context about Hannibal as sort of a character in the wider cultural context? Because obviously, this show was a big cult hit, but it's coming from a lot of other media and we've done an episode on Silence of the Lambs that we'll link to but yeah and um, also Killing Eve which is sort of like the girl version of this um yeah so Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs are basically the kind of ultimate American serial killer fiction and I think the serial killer genre is really quite a inherently American genre in itself like American pop culture is obsessed with serial killers and I think that in real life kind of feeds into the prevalence of serial killers because it's one of these things that becomes like copycat crimes where people are attracted to the fame and notoriety. So there's a lot of problematic elements to this genre in general. The Hannibal novels, which I absolutely loved when I first found out about them as a teenager, like I saw Hannibal and Sons of the Lambs way too early. I saw those at a sleepover when I was 11 and I was like, I'm in love. They're amazing. <laughs> 11? 11. Oh this was This was like my friend's 11th birthday party sleepover. And her parents were like, sure, we'll get you Hannibal and Sounds and Labs. And even at that age, I was like, this doesn't seem appropriate. 
The other kids <laughs> at the sleepover got bored halfway through Hannibal and were like, we're not interested. And I was like enraptured and then like found a copy of Hannibal at a charity shop and like read it four times. So I guess, you know, I was a morbid goth teen and I'm a morbid goth adult, although I, I don't really like true crime. So yeah, this is kind of like the ultimate serial killer thing. And there's been um, various different adaptations in kind of differing tones. So the TV show is actually more adapted from the book Red Dragon, um, which has Will Graham, the investigator, as the protagonist, and kind of Hannibal is more of a tertiary character. So it's about Will Graham investigating the serial killer called the Red Dragon, who's played by Richard Armitage in the show. But the show is like a very kind of different adaptation from the book. It's updated to be the present day. Um, The book is like essentially sort of like a macho man thriller where almost every character is a white man and it's all about sort of a serial killer that targets women and families. And the TV show introduces like a bunch of other killers. Um, It's still obviously a serial killer show, but like it's got a much more kind of diverse cast intentionally. They kind of gender flip and kind of re-spend a lot of different characters. And um, it's generally sort of a bit more like progressive in that field. Although um, it is still a show that basically glorifies a white male serial killer. I make no bones about that. I love this show. So one has to, one has to admit that one's favorite is problematic. But um. I think like it's it's not as governed by the male gaze as like the vast majority of pop culture in this subgenre, and that's obviously like partly because the showrunner Brian Fuller is gay, and also his other kind of things that he's known for are usually female-led romances or like romances that have sort of like a gender balanced cast rather than being crime procedurals. Um, so it, this generally appeals to me more in that regard, and also um, I kind of basically just gel with his general kind of artistic vision for stuff. Um, I'm into it. Yes. Um, (laughs) When you were talking about like, well, it is still a show that glorifies a serial killer. I was sitting here making like a face of like, yes, indeed. It does indeed do that. And I think up to a point in the first season, I could sort of be like, oh, this is entertaining. Okay. Okay. And I think the reason that it was more palatable to me at the beginning was that I actually think the show worked better when it's more a procedural. So the first season of the show is very much a procedural show. Yeah, they have sort of crime of the week and then the ongoing kind of storyline. And then it changes as it goes along to be more of a standard drama without that element like you'll still have other crimes going on but it's not structured so much in that way and I actually think the grounding of having like one thing going on every week helped the story structure to me like I think when the show gets more gothic and baroque it actually gets weaker to me because it lets Fuller sort of play into his tendencies of just like self-indulging the like self-seriousness, which I don't find that appealing. And then also in that first season, because Will is still more together as a character and kind of beginning to lose it, there's more of an equal balance of power, I think, between the two characters. And then that really starts to recede as the show goes on and leads to the end, which again, we'll discuss later. And as the show progresses, it really kind of, it so glorifies Hannibal that it became very difficult for me to find it appealing ethically. So Mads Mikkelsen is awesome in this. Like I, that he, he's great. He's so much fun to watch. He obviously is 
very attractive in kind of every sense of the word, right? Like you just want to watch him. He's very beautiful. He's wearing these suits that are just like incredible. But I mean, he's, he's a very appealing figure, but I think that the show doesn't, even though it is not, it doesn't make compunctions about what he's doing. Like he's very clearly a bad person who's killing people. The show never really makes an effort to cast him as like actually a monster. I mean, he is, but you're still supposed to be like, yeah, but I love him. If, Wait, it's you know like, it's I mean? exactly like, kind of the, the modern conception of Dracula. Like, basically, yes. no Dracula, apart from the original novel Dracula, ever depicts Dracula as truly repulsive. He's always sort of seductive and appealing. And that's how Dracula has been successful in popular culture. Right. Whereas in Silence of the Lambs, there's something about that performance that is also very attractive in like a literal sense. You are drawn to him. But he's horrible. Like, he's much creepier. He's a weirdo. And not that the performance has to be exactly like that. And he's at a different place in the story in that movie. Like he's already been locked up and is sort of any attempt to be a normal person has gone away. But um, my problem with it is that you are supposed to be rooting for him in a weird way. Um, and the fact that it's basically structured as a romance... I just can't, I can't be invested in that because he's, he is a monster. (laughs) And so it's just like, I, this is gross. This is gross. And I will let you talk again in a moment. But the problems (laughs) I had, the problems I had with the first season, even when I was definitely enjoying it, were that the way it's set up then is that Hannibal is treating Will as a therapist for, I don't even remember how that yeah i mean he's initially signed on as a kind of as a one-off therapy session because he shot someone in the line of duty and like hannibal gives him like a rubber stamp and is like okay i'll keep giving you terrible bad therapy (laughs) well this is the thing right it's just like they are kind of colleagues at the fbi and then he's like i'm also going to be your therapist and i remember emailing you at the time and being like this isn't how therapy works this is totally unethical this would never be allowed and he like goes to the hospital with him at one point to like set up this appointment to have his brain scanned or something and um yeah i think i think if if one is going to have an issue with realistic depictions of therapy this is not the show for you (laughs) right and i was just like oh but i think it all ties into this whole larger problem that i have with the show right is that the blurred lines around that character you have to kind of find the relationship between them that is inappropriate on so many levels from the get-go in terms of the power dynamic, you have to find that appealing in some on some way. And Yes, which I clearly do. <laughs> right. And the like the charisma of the two actors, like they when they act together, it's very appealing. Like they're both really great and they have a lot of chemistry. And like the best scenes in the show are when the two of them are playing a scene together. It's undeniable that it's fun to watch them. But in terms of wanting that relationship to progress in a romantic or sexual way or not i can't get my brain to go to that place like it's just repulsive to me and that's why i don't like this show so i turn the floor back over (laughs) to you so i think this is very clearly a your mileage may vary issue (laughs) because clearly uh, a large number of tv critics and fans are extremely fond of this show it kind of did get sort of a glowing response at the time and is gone on to become this sort of cult hit i find especially like kind of the fan response to this is part of the reason why 
it continues to have an appeal to me. Like, obviously, the show does have, a, like, a, a big fandom. Um, and along with film nerds, the kind of active part of the fandom, as is the case with so many, is predominantly women, mostly millennial women. And it's also probably the nicest fandom I've come across, like, in terms of the interpersonal behaviour, which is very interesting um, because... That is not what one would initially assume from such a dark show. And I think like the people who get really invested in it, it's kind of someone, it's the situation where it's people who really want to explore something which is taboo and dark, but are very clear about it being completely separate from one's personal values, I guess. Like the show is basically like a Dracula story and it's like you're fully invested in the villain. But I do think that the show does have a good balance of horror elements and the fact that you are essentially still rooting for Will and Hannibal by the end. Like, if you continued watching to the end, I think you do have to be someone who's more like me than Morgan and essentially be like a Will Hannibal shipper. You have to be someone who's like, I want these characters to in some way come out on top or for, even if Hannibal isn't victorious, for it to like, you, you still have like some investment in him rather than just completely being like, oh, I think this person ought to be incarcerated forever because that's not really the way the story is structured like it's intentionally not a procedural in the same way that like most procedurals are but I think it's also very different from say Dexter which would be the most obvious comparison because I mean Dexter first of all is very much like a man show (laughs) Um, but it's also trying to like inject this sort of moral ambiguity where you're like oh maybe what he's doing actually is good because he's only killing bad people whereas in Hannibal the conceit is the people that Hannibal are killing are rude which is not a good reason to kill someone (laughs) like there are either people who like piss him off in some way or like upset his sensibilities but it's generally some of them are like blameless and other of the others of them are like outright evil and he doesn't like see any difference because he doesn't have a normal kind of moral center and essentially Almost every character in the show who's a recurring character is normal. And it's very interesting to kind of watch a gothic drama like this where most of the characters are normal because you've got Hannibal, who is this larger-than-life demonic figure. Like, in the books, he has red eyes and six fingers on his left hand, which is the mark of the beast. He has super strength and speaks, like, 15 languages and has, like, amazing musical skills and, like, super smelling, which is why he's so good at cooking and all this stuff. Like, he is this, like, supernatural being. And Maz Mikkelsen is perfect casting for this because he has this amazing charisma and his performance is so kind of subtle and humorous. And they kind of, like, fill the show with all his falderall and weird musical skills and what have you. But, like, most of the main characters are a bunch of crime procedural characters who are existing in this completely different genre and that's how they're not able to handle him on any level. And kind of the structure of the story is that Will Graham is someone who wishes that he could be part of the crime procedural world where he's kind of interacting with normal humans and solving crimes in like a lab. But because of his personality and implicitly kind of his mental health issues, he just like cannot fit in with everyday society. He's a loner and kind of the the conceit of his character, if there is anyone listening to this who has not seen at least some of Hannibal, the conceit of his character is that he has this incredible skill for empathy, um, not in the sort of like he gets on with people on an emotional level way, but he can um, basically kind of like psychically look at a crime scene and be like, oh, I've calculated everything that was going on here and everyone's motives. You know, the classic sort of, crime-solving nonsense that we have in so many of these TV shows. But, like, within the TV show, it, like, massively amplifies this concept that was existed in the books. So it's, like, Will Graham is kind of reaching out for someone he can engage with, and it turns out that the only person who fits that description is Hannibal. So Morgan is like, I just hate this relationship because it's so unbalanced, which it definitely is at the beginning. 
because at the beginning of the story, like in season one, it's a situation where Will does not know that Hannibal is a serial killer. He thinks that he's found someone who, you know, he can be like simpatico with and Hannibal sees the same thing. But at the same time, Hannibal doesn't view Will as an equal because he doesn't view anyone as an equal. So he's manipulating this person. Will gets encephalitis, so he's seriously ill. He's hallucinating. Hannibal preys on him. But then over the course of the next two seasons, it gets to this point where, first of all, like Will figures out that Hannibal is a serial killer. So then it becomes more of a kind of cat and cat rather than cat and mouse game, sort of like the first season of Killing Eve is. And then the third season is about Will kind of detaching from the life that he was trying to lead in normal society and realizing that he has to or wants to be with Hannibal instead, which is a very dark concept to introduce to a show like this. Um, And the show isn't like this is morally correct because you have this entire supporting cast of people who are horrified and disgusted by the concept because like the, um, the FBI characters kind of continue on throughout the show and they're all flawed in some way, like they're quite well characterized, but they are essentially like, we want these people to be in jail. And then you have like a secondary cast of people who are either other serial killers like the Red Dragon, or there's this like wealthy family who are, because they're so wealthy, they're like out with the normal bounds of the law. So they are behaving in ways that as the viewer, we find like so much more hideous and horrifying because they're not sort of like this charming, idiosyncratic, like otherworldly being like Hannibal. They are just the rich people that like kidnap people and murder them sort of thing. So there's kind of some sort of class stuff going on there that expands on the class themes of the books in an interesting way, I think. Like, um, I think we discussed this in the Silence of the Lambs podcast, but um, the Hannibal books are really interested in class. So Hannibal is like, intentionally, he is this aristocratic figure. Like he's this old European count who his, his, his like ancestral home is a castle. And the two characters that he has the closest relationship to in the books are Clarice Starling and Will Graham, both of whom are very working class from the South in America. So there's this huge cultural divide between them. And that's part of what Hannibal finds appealing about these characters, because it's this idea of them having a certain authenticity um, and difference to him. And they're like so far away from his experience that they like barely even understand the things that he values, like all the kind of superficial interests he has. But also like his image is part of the reason why he gets away with everything because as this wealthy socialite who has his finger in every pie in the city they live in and is like, he hosts all these dinner parties and he's very charming. And because he works in the medical profession, he's automatically trusted. It takes way too long for everyone to realize that he's a serial killer. And I mean, obviously the show takes place in this heightened environment where there's all these, like he's literally making cannibal jokes in the show. And the show is intentionally very surreal. Like, he lives in this fucking weird-ass house which is decorated with skulls and all this stuff. You know, he's so clearly threatening. But it kind of does, I think, illustrate the way that sort of thing works in real life, where someone can be just, like, objectively a really disturbing, alarming individual and their dangerousness is just ignored and protected by the fact that they come from a privileged strata of society where people are like, well, I I can't believe that a doctor would abuse their patients. And it's like, they do all the time and this is why they get away with it. (laughs) Yes. Although I think that that is all much more, all of that stuff, all all of the subtextual stuff you were just talking about is much more present for me in The Silence of the Lambs than in this show. It's a more obvious theme in Silence of the Lambs because Silence of the Lambs is basically a workplace drama about Clarice just constantly being ignored and overlooked because she's a woman and because she's not like fitting in with the others. So like that's the key theme of Silence of the Lambs and the reason why it's still genius to this day. Whereas Hannibal, that is more of subtext because it's like they have so many other things going on at the same time. Well, 
And also, I mean, Hannibal's house is amazing, and it's uniquely amazing. Like, no one else at that show is living in a house like that, obviously, because it reflects his personality. And Will lives in kind of this, like, farmhouse place with lots of dogs. But, um... That because it's a Brian Fuller show, like everyone lives in a beautiful space, yes. right? Like ev- everyone is dressed beautifully. It's all so classy, basically, right? That it's hard to think of anyone. I mean, of the main characters, not necessarily the like person of the week stuff, as not having money. Yeah, because, like, by the time the show takes place, like, by this point, Will actually does have money. Like, he didn't as a kid, but he doesn't now, so. I mean, literally, I was watching the, like, the finale, and at some point he walks up to his house, and it's, like, a big house, a bunch of land, and I just thought, imagine being, having the money to have a house like that, like, which has nothing to do with the show. Which is the case in every TV show, of course. (laughs) Right, but, like, that's just sort of how the show is, right? Like, you know. And so because the show prioritizes being very aesthetically rich and sort of sensually pleasing, I don't think when I was watching it, I had a single thought about anything you were just saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, there are those couple characters who are from the like super rich family who are like weird psychos, but except for the fact that Hannibal obviously is from this other kind of world and he's into all this cultural stuff and is certainly a unique figure that's definitely true but any kind of other class commentary was not registering for me at all because the show is so indulgent in so many ways essentially by design like you're supposed to be having that experience yeah watching it right like the cinematography is very beautiful the clothes are very beautiful the music is really amazing and i think that's what fuller is sort of prioritizing in terms of like viewer experience perhaps to the detriment of other things which is fine like that's the decision that was made right it's more important for you to be having that experience than that certain other realistic in quotes things get depicted which i don't have a problem with that was obviously what he wanted to do and he did it successfully like my issue with this show is not what it looks like it looks very good you know. The show kind of brought together just a number of things that are like very specifically to my taste um, and also kind of like arrived at the correct point in my kind of pop culture consumption. In the kind of years after Hannibal aired, I've definitely noticed there's a lot of shows that like directly kind of were influenced by this because it was such a sort of critical darling at the time. So you'll see stuff like Daredevil where they're very clearly kind of borrowing stylistic elements from it and then like using them but also because I review quite a lot of shows I see a lot of things where there's so much more style and substance which I actually would include in that list um, American Gods which is Brian Fuller's later show after this which like went through a lot of issues and I think one of the key problems is that it's adapted from a book which is just much less good and also doesn't have any emotional through lines which is like Brian Fuller's specialty so it has like all of this kind of aesthetic flair and amazing music and then like nothing underneath the less said about season two the better nightmare Uh, (laughs) but um I think this is like the kind of the ultimate example for me of kind of the combination of style and substance because to me to really get into something I need there to be like a lot of different layers of stuff for me to kind of obsessively overanalyze 
And that's the reason why this and Black Sails are my two favourite TV shows, because I can enjoy them just on a purely entertainment level. Watching them, I'm like, every element of these performances and the writing is just completely pleasurable to me. This show is extremely thrilling to watch. Like, I've now watched it either two and a half or three three times through. I watched it with... um, some of my friends about a year and a half ago and we were just like on the edge of our seats on tender hooks because like the kind of horror thriller stuff is just so intense and it's so effective but there's also kind of layers of sort of symbolism and kind of the visual elements and the dialogue is so intense I just feel like there is a lot for me to dig my teeth into which is something that um, Morgan and I are gonna kind of get more into in a couple of weeks when we do our Captain America the Winter Soldier uh, episode because that is another one which while more flawed than Hannibal is one that you can fucking overanalyze to death which is my key key criteria but yeah like I mean the stuff which Morgan just isn't particularly interested in like the visual elements I think are like one of the sort of the whetstone with which I ground down the blade of my wit as a TV <laughs> critic because <laughs> the level of attention I have paid to the detail of this show is just it's ridiculous I think one of the reasons why I ended up picking these episodes for Morgan was even though I've not watched this in a couple of years, I was like, yes, she's got to watch this mid-season two episode because it's the one where they have this really fantastic choice of like black and white dresses for the for the FBI chief's wife. And then after I thought that, I was like, Morgan's not going to give a shit about this. <laughs> so there's this point midway through season two um, where this character played by Gina Torres, who plays the FBI chief, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's wife, she is terminally ill. And um, the kind of the story is about her husband kind of he- dealing with this grief and her dealing with her mortality. And she chooses to go to Hannibal for her therapy because everyone in the show does and it always ends very well. But it's like they have like a very specific kind of costuming color palette and style for everyone in a very sort of evocative and detailed way. And with her, they have her dressed either in very stark sort of black and white or in these sort of washed out, pale, dying floral colours, which I found very interesting. So like in the scenes where she is speaking to Hannibal, she's wearing this dress, which is 50% black and 50% white, like she's halfway between life and death. And then when she finally acknowledges that she is dying, she kind of starts to fade away into these like faded floral colours and is eventually kind of stuck in her home, which has also got these sort of funeral flower colours everywhere. And then like whenever you're in Hannibal's office, like the... how much the curtains are open is always kind of symbolically (laughs) sort of letting the right amount of light in for everything even though it's like it's completely unclear like what the location of this office even is it's this situation where it's like um it's like in The Shining where the hotel is intentionally designed so that it doesn't actually fit into its own geographical space like Hannibal's office I think is meant to be in his house but they like never clarify it and like his the room is just this enormous building that you would like never find in just like an American suburban townhouse. <laughs> and it has these curtains that are like butcher's poles. <laughs> it's just, there's a lot happening. And of course, so many just like little accessories, like the weird stags and skeletal statues. He has a painting of Lita and the Swan in his kitchen. So like one wall is like all these herbs, which he's, now I now I grow plants. I'm like, how did he grow all these herbs without any like lighting or windows? But he's just very <laughs> gothic. So I guess they're the kind of herbs that only grow in a cave. And then you kind of look over the table and it's like, oh yeah, there's someone having sex with a swan. It's just like, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much going on. <laughs> I think at one point there was like, when they showed like the corridor to the office where he has therapy sessions, there was this painting that's of just like a famous shipwreck. And it's like, wow. You monster. <laughs> I mean, like, this and obviously 
the violence. Like, the fact that this was on NBC of all networks. It is bonkers. It's <laughs> still amazing to me. It was amazing at the time. It's still amazing. The fact that it lasted three seasons. I mean, it was airing on, like, Friday nights, like, 10 p.m. or something. <laughs> Which is the worst time. And, you know, it would have, like, one million viewers. Like, nobody watched it. But, um, it's just mind-boggling that it was... On network television. It Nothing is, since On, on been, multiple levels. Because, like, know. first of all, it's, like, such an obvious example of, sort of, prestige TV of the, like, kind of 2010s prestige TV period. Like, it's absolutely one of those things that critics kind of talk about alongside Mad Men or Breaking Bad or whatever. But also, in terms of the adult content, it's just such a, it's such a, like, textbook example of, like, how weird TV ratings are, especially in the US, because... I do actually think something which I think Morgan and I will agree on. I think that the the NBC's content ratings were actually beneficial to this show because it doesn't need to be any more adult than it is. And watching American Gods, I'm just like, so much of this is just egregious and unnecessary. And there's all this like violence and nudity where I'm just like, what's the point? Whereas with this, I think that Hannibal is probably still one of the most disturbing TV shows I've ever seen. Certainly thematically, it's the most disturbing. But even in terms of the actual kind of violent gore content it is unbelievable what they could actually air on just network television i think it's actually scandalous that they were allowed to put this on television on network television i mean like there's you know, some see, stuff you've heard, in the- you've heard the story about like the there's like this one episode where which is taken from the book where these characters are um sort of they're like flayed alive and there is a point where they're kind of they're like strung up with their backs to the camera and NBC's note was, you need to put more blood on them so we can't see their naked buttocks. Which is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what are your values? I mean, obviously there were like content ratings on all of this when it aired. But by the time you get to season three, there is a scene in season three, which is also in kind of um, the Hannibal movie and kind of the books and stuff, which is like so gross. That I have never actually watched it. I just close my eyes when I'm watching that part of the episode because it's like so horrifying. And I'm like, this isn't even like the adult rated, <laughs> like this isn't even on like HBO or something. <laughs> And it's just like, and it's because like the show is so effectively emotionally evocative. Because when I'm watching Game of Thrones, I'm like, I mean, first of all, I'm not watching Game of Thrones anymore. But also it's like that show absolutely revels in how far it can go. But I'm just like, this is just meaningless to me because I don't give a shit about any of the characters, what happens to them. So, I mean, I stopped watching when they like castrated that guy. But I was just like, this is completely pointless exercise to me. It wasn't so much like, oh, I feel bad for him because it's just like they're all just avatars of nothingness. Whereas in Hannibal, I just care deeply about everyone. So it kind of adds more. Hannibal is more violent than Game of Thrones also. I mean, I watched three seasons of that show and there was some really horrible gross shit in there. It gets so much worse, trust me. It really does. (laughs) I mean, that's unfortunate to hear because that's gross. But like, I am not squeamish. And we're going to talk more about violence when we talk about the ending, because I have thoughts. But, like, I am not a squeamish person. And there was, there's stuff in this show and in the episodes I was watching where I was literally, like, recoiling from the screen, making a face of just, like, this is repulsive and I do not want to be watching this. Like, I was, like, I don't, I don't need to see that. It's gross. It's bad. I don't understand why we need to be witnessing this. Whereas my friends and I who watch it together, we're recalling from the screen, but in a good way, because we're all horror fans. And I'm especially a horror fan. <laughs> so I have like, like different I like horror tastes. horror movies too. And it's too much 
for me. I just think, you know, make, I mean, make what television you, you want, whatever. But, like, the fact that NBC was airing it, I genuinely... I mean, it's kind of amazing, but it's it boggles my mind. <laughs> like, it's genuinely nuts. Because they're very... I mean, none of the big networks, obviously, are, like, badly pushing at this point. But when this was on specifically, NBC has better programming now than it did at that time. But NBC was considered like the failing network. Well, it was kind of around the time when they just like, they rejected a couple of really big sitcoms that when it became like successful somewhere else, like they'd stopped showing 30 Rock. And then they were like, we don't, we don't want like Tina Fey's new sitcom and we don't want like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or whatever it was. And it was just like, what? (laughs) And so they were in big trouble in a a number of ways. And then they had this on and it was just this whole like, what is happening? Like, what's going on? I don't know. And it's also like very weird because obviously season one is something that fans kind of joke about a lot is that season one is this crime procedural. And then by the time you get to season three, the characters will be speaking in blank verse and you'll have like an extended kaleidoscope sequence, you know? (laughs) All of which speaks to me, of course. Yeah, I mean, he really got one over on them and has then, meaning Brian Fuller, and has now quit like five projects since. So uh, we'll see if he ever makes another television show. I look forward to and hope that he does. I mean, I think he should too, but it will be interesting to see if he actually manages to keep a job. Some people are just very high maintenance and it's tough. Showrunners, especially, just as a broad statement, showrunners of television seem like a lot of work. And uh, yeah, he clearly has creative conflicts with some with people. Although it is, I think, a good sign, in my opinion, that by and large, everyone who has worked with him and like the actors, especially, are like so fucking keen to work with him again, and are very sort of glowing and positive, which is not always the case, and one can often tell. When, when there have been that kind of conflict. So it's more just the case of sort of like, there needs to be some kind of magical relationship where someone is simultaneously giving him a vast amount of money and allowing him most mostly creative control, but not full creative control. Yeah, so if anyone wants to set that situation up... Uh... Yeah, it was evidently the, the kind of, um, the big Hollywood family who owns the rights to the Hannibal franchise, whoever he was working with, with them, I think is whoever managed that one. <laughs> so, right. yeah. I love him. He is a genius. <laughs> um... Do we have anything to talk about before we get to spoiler territory? Any other? Do you have any big, big thoughts, big themes? Yeah, you I think I think just about? like there's so much pressure for me in this episode that I'll probably think of like 35 things once we've finished recording. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I learned to cook as a result of this show, which remains <laughs> hilarious whenever I remember it. It's such an integral part of my day to day life. I'm now like oh yeah normal but like before this show I was like a, an adult human who could feed themselves some pasta and after watching Hannibal I was like it's time to host like a four four course meal for like 20 people and I do all these like elaborate cooking projects and it's like okay it's interesting that that's where this came from I'm vegetarian <laughs> I was gonna say also for for the listeners Gav is a vegetarian which so means that I cannot cook most here. of the things from the Hannibal cookbook which yes I own <laughs> You own another large piece of memorabilia. Yeah, I do. I like, I literally, I don't, I don't wear any kind of sloganized t-shirts and I don't buy memorabilia or toys because I don't really like having stuff around. 
Um, I do, however, own Hannibal Lecter's family crest, which um, was above the castle gates in this show, which was a vast amount of money, which I do not regret in the slightest, and is just going to go with me wherever I go. It weighs a fucking ton. (laughs) It currently lives in my fireplace, and it looks great. It depicts sort of like a little baby man being devoured by a giant snake. Um, Very good. Very good design. It's very cool. I've I've witnessed it with my own eyes. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about end yes spoilers we're going to talk about the last two episodes yes do you want to summarize how should we yeah i guess um so yeah i think people should go and just watch all three seasons of the show but um if you have (laughs) obeyed my wishes and need your memory refreshed um the final two episodes kind of cleave relatively close to the end of red dragon apart from the will hannibal relationship which is the main element that's been radically changed but um basically you have the serial killer, the Red Dragon, who's played by Richard Armitage, um, has been kind of like this key character for the latter half of season three. And by this point, Hannibal is actually incarcerated. And the final sort of gambit is the FBI plans to fake a prison escape with Hannibal to try and lure the Red Dragon out because obviously every serial killer is desperate to prove themselves to Hannibal the Cannibal. And the escape actually works. And Hannibal and Will kind of wind up at one of Hannibal's secret private properties where they have a showdown with the Red Dragon and it ends with them killing the Red Dragon together and uh, flinging themselves over the cliff, which is the end of the series. Yes. So they have decided to be together in death or life. Yeah. And everyone has, for years, very hopeful for another season, but that doesn't seem like it's... Yeah, I mean, I obviously, like, my automatic assumption at the time was like, oh, I'm desperate for more. But at the same time, it's one of these situations where the ending to me is so perfectly conclusive that I don't need another season. Like, it's the same, like, even more so with Black Sails. Like, Black Sails ends so perfectly that even if someone was like, let's renew it, I'd just be like, don't, don't ruin it. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think that's often like we're now in this culture of like everything getting revived yeah, and a lot of the time, it's either not worth it or it's actively a bad idea, like Gilmore Girls, where it was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> like, just let things end. I really, you know, this is my note to Hollywood. Just stop. So I hated these two episodes. <laughs> Deeply. I was so mad. Um, I should specify that I was not in the correct frame of mind to be watching these. these. I watched the two from season two on one evening, and then... The, the two sort of finale episodes uh, the next evening, which was the evening after the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand. So I was not in the mood to be watching a violent thing and had to do it anyway for this podcast, which I did. And I just was mad. I was just very mad. It got, But it got me thinking about sort of consuming media in an interesting way. And I just think that as I've gotten older, my interest in watching depictions of violence has just plummeted. I just am not interested. I don't... If if it's not, to, to clarify, if it's not doing something that I find interesting or productive for the story. So as I said before, like I'm not squeamish at all. It's not that if I see a violent thing in a movie or whatever that I'm like, oh God, like I love hereditary. So, you know, 
So, I mean, in this context, are you differentiating this type of like explicit unpleasant violence from the type of violence one sees in an action movie? I mean, obviously those two things are very different. Yeah. In terms of the what you're seeing. But it really, I mean, in a way, no. I mean, it's sort of like the violence in something like Captain America Civil War. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's just like fluff. Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> that's nothing, right? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to gauge whether John Wick is a good idea for you or not. Basically, I, this, I was going to say I was I was thinking about this when I was having this conversation in my head the other day. I was like, I think it is really a great thing for both of us that I have not seen John Wick because I do not think that I would like it at all for exactly this reason, which is the sort of gratuitous depictions of violence in this way that are not presented critically. I just have no patience for anymore. They do not interest me. And it's not that people shouldn't be making media that has violence in it, obviously. Like, I'm not here to prescribe what everyone should be doing. And we all have violent feelings and urges, which is why people make media with violence in it, right? Like, it's something that people think about and feel, even if they're not going around killing people or beating people up. But... I just felt like the end of the show ends with the, these two characters like orgasmically killing someone and then saying like, it's so beautiful and then jumping off a cliff. And I was just like, I felt so gross after watching it that I had to watch an episode of a sitcom, which I did not fully enjoy. And then I like lay in bed feeling gross, which was not pleasant. Like It was just like, you know what? No. And what I found I was thinking about it in comparison to other things I've been watching recently and the one the one of the things I've liked the most in general that I've watched recently but specifically that relates to this was um Bill Hader's show Barry which is coming back in a couple of weeks that I'm gonna make you watch because I really want to do an episode about it it's so great and <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to watch it just because you've told me like 18 times now and I'm like I'm gonna have to <laughs> have to you will up. like it it's really good I highly recommend it to anyone listening and it's about um, this sort of veteran who's become a hitman and he moves to Los Angeles for a job and he sort of stumbles well, into an I did an not know the show was about a hitman. I'm already more yeah. sold because I thought this was like an interpersonal drama about some guy. No. <laughs> He's a hitman. He winds up going to an acting class in Los Angeles and decides he wants to become an actor, but he's really bad at being an actor. Wow, and, it's kiss, um, kiss, bang, bang, but presumably not misogynist. <laughs> The way that it's described, like the way they sort of pitch it is that it's as if Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver met all the people from Waiting for Guffman, and that is exactly what it is. It's so great. But in all the sort of interviews that Bill Hader uh, and the co-creator Alec Berg, who also um, co-created Silicon Valley, talked about it, like they were very clear that all of the violence in the show, of which there is a fair amount because he's like killing people all the time, None of it is sexy at all. It is not fun. It is just horrible. It's awful. And what's sort of interesting about the show is that you start off very sympathetic to him, even though he's a hitman, because Bill Hader is so inherently likable. Like, everyone loves Bill Hader, right? Like, you just want to like him. And over the course of the show, they kind of force you to realize that this guy is horrible. Because he's murdering people all the time. And that's an example of something that I find quite interesting because they're sort of forcing you to think about this in an interesting way. And obviously there are other examples of things like Drive, which was clearly an accident because Nicholas Winning Refn yeah, has made other I things that are Yeah, I watched a couple gross. of his other films and I was like, wow, that was a fluke. 
Yep, completely. <laughs> but that's a movie where you're watching Ryan Gosling do really violent things and you totally get off on it for a while. And then the movie kind of pulls back and pulls back and pulls back and makes you kind of think about like, why was I enjoying that? And I think that's really interesting too. But something like this show where the, it's so excessive and gratuitous and glorified for me at this point, I just can't do it. I don't like it. I find it ethically gross. And because of specifically, like, literally the exact way that it ends with the sort of romantic conclusion, I was just like, no. No, no, no. And that was why I was so mad. So that's my spiel about the end of Hannibal and why I didn't like it. Sorry to everyone who loves this show. I felt really bad because someone paid us. Sorry to Jessica. Someone paid us to watch this and I was like, oh God. Like, well, don't worry. Oh, I'm still no. team Jessica. I mean, there's, there's I definitely been, like we've definitely had episodes where, um, as is often the case, like I've been more positive about something than Morgan. And then like after listening to her, I've been like grudgingly, I've been like, maybe she's right. Like um, like this, like last year's Suspiria. I liked much more in the days following watching Suspiria than I do now, where I'm basically like, I don't give a shit anymore. Like, it's actually not that good, you know? Whereas Hannibal, I'm just like, all of Morgan's opinions are just objectively wrong here. <laughs> so I mean, like, I wasn't yeah. expecting to convince <laughs> no. you that Hannibal was bad. Yeah, like, neither of us, neither of us are winning the other over. But um, I think, like, I actually do have, I mean, as you know, I like, I actually do have, like, very similar kind of emotional and ethical responses to depictions of violence it's just that that has never extended for me to Hannibal like I've never felt that way about Hannibal um ever really but like I definitely do get that especially because I'm in the position of watching quite a lot of tv and movies that I would not voluntarily be watching so I'm exposed to I mean I'm not as exposed to American crime procedurals as a full-time tv critic would be and if I was I would probably quit my job because um such a large volume of those shows is just completely about usually sexualized violence towards women, you know? And I still see a lot of that just like from other stuff that I'm watching and it does become very tiresome. And I also do think there's a lot of um, either sort of like overly artsy-fied sort of depictions of violence where the filmmakers think they're doing more than they actually are. Like they think that just by making something look pretty, it kind of adds some kind of weight to it, which it really doesn't. Like there's a lot of stuff out there which is gets kind of, more sort of acclaim than it deserves from its audience because it's so stylish, which isn't obviously the same as substance. But there's also a lot of stuff where it's like there's depictions of sort of violence and action scenes which are included because they're trying to make a thriller, but they don't have this sort of competence to manage it. So you've just got a bunch of people just shooting each other for ages, um, which just is very tiresome. Uh, but yeah, no, I've just never particularly found that with Hannibal, even though I do definitely to a certain extent find that with American Gods and with quite a lot of the stuff that I have to watch on a regular basis like especially sort of the ways in which Marvel's kind of adult rated Netflix franchise made itself adult rated um, it was very rare that any of the extreme violence in that was actually adding anything apart from like box checking to make sure that it's adult rated which is like not a reason to do anything like you you can just make something mature rather than like fulfilling the ratings goals to make sure that people under 18 aren't legally allowed to watch it. Like those are two very different things and one of them is idiotic. <laughs> I actually think the trend is slightly 
turned away from this now. Like, the joke used to be that all the HBO and Showtime shows would just have, like, naked women all over the place. Yeah, like, 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 fucking, like, ridiculous violence. (laughs) Right. Like Spartacus. Yeah, and I don't find that so much anymore, at least in what I'm watching. Like, I really like Billions. I think it's really fun. And it's definitely, it's, like, smart, but it's definitely a Showtime show. Like, it's supposed to be fun. And they do not do the thing, like, occasionally there'll be, like, a naked person, but it's not like they're just like, here are ten naked But it's, like, it's a show that's about adults. It's, like, the most adult concept you can get, which is a bunch of, like, middle-aged businessmen having a feud. (laughs) Right. But that was definitely... Like, Game of Thrones is the apotheosis of yeah. that. And was a joke for that reason. Not like the show was was itself a joke. Like but the jokes were being made about know, it. Correct, yes. And I think with Hannibal, like, obviously the violence is in the show for a reason. It's about a serial killer. But it felt to me, like, in our Silence of the Lambs episode, we talked about the various issues of that movie. Like, I think it has serious flaws in terms of the, you know, the bad guy is a huge mess but obviously it's a great movie in many ways and um they don't need to show the stuff for it to be frightening i mean it's classic like don't show the monster thing right yeah or like don't show the alien it doesn't need to be done and to me the fact that all of the unbelievably graphic violence is depicted in hannibal makes it considerably less interesting to me as an artwork because Again, like, I have seen movies that have very graphic depictions of violence in them, and that doesn't bother me if it's... Yeah, I mean, last year, one of your favorites was You Were Never Really There, which is something which I would put, like, 55 warnings ahead of. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, But even that, like, there are a few moments in that that are extremely graphic, but Lynn Ramsey's movies are all kind of about violence, but she's very, very smart about it. So, like, there's a scene in that where Joaquin Phoenix... Um, he's going to rescue this underage girl who's sort of been abducted into this sex trafficking situation. And the scene that should technically be like the most violent in terms of volume of violence in it, she shows through security camera footage. So you know what he's doing, but you're not seeing like the up close gore of it. And I thought that was so intelligent or like you see him in other scenes kind of after he's done something. And so you know, implicitly exactly what has gone on, but you're not seeing all of it in your face. And then she does. So show certain things in your face. And then that punches that packs much more of a punch because she's doling it out in a very intelligent way. And I'm really interested in violence. So it's not that I don't ever want to see these things. Like I find that stuff very fascinating. But for this, and, like, even when I liked the show, I kind of thought this. I was like, it almost gets boring. Like, it's just not, there's so much of it that it's like, okay, and now. And then the moments where it sort of crosses the line for me make me like the show less, right? In the finale episodes, Dr. Chilton, played by Raul Esparza, who's totally wonderful. Very funny. He gets his lips ripped off. And I was, it's so fucking disgusting. I was like, I just don't need to be seeing this. Like, it was not, I keep seeing it in my head 48 hours later. And like, no, no, no. (laughs) Right? And again, like, there are people, including you, who enjoy this kind of thing. And that's fine. But I just don't really get it. 
I, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to be kind of just for me to be discussing this now because a couple of weeks ago I went to a horror festival. Um, where obviously, like, if you're watching every film at a festival, some of them are going to be good and some of them are going to be duds. And one of the worst ones was, like, it was it was a torture porn film. Like, it was one of these things like Saw, where it's just women being brutally tortured for ages. Um, and it was absolutely appalling. And the audience largely thought it was appalling at a horror festival where everyone had paid to go to the horror festival. Mm-hmm. And, like, the festival director introduced it, like, oh, this one's really boundary pushing. And then... I was in like the bathroom afterwards and literally women were having the conversation that I'd had with myself inside my head, which was, I'm not walking out of this film and giving the male filmmaker the satisfaction of walkouts because he clearly wants this. So we were all just sitting there with our eyes closed, like just meditating to just be like, this is so fucking <laughs> stupid. Like it's a fucking like moronic, like derivative nonsense where it's like everything happening on screen is disgusting and misogynist and horrible, but it's not like fully reaching me because I'm just like, just close my eyes, peace out, come back for the next one. Which is like appalling nonsense but then when I think back to Hannibal I just like I'm so kind of emotionally invested in it and um I just enjoy everything like obviously there are like a couple of scenes which are so extreme which I just have to close my eyes but a lot of the kind of more extreme stuff it's more like sort of the horror experience of like where you just start to laugh or you're just like so horrified but you're enjoying yourself kind of thing like the catharsis and that's kind of the experience I've had like watching with my friends as well like sort of just like the enjoyment horror but it's just, it's very strange, like how this kind of thing can very much be like a personal response because it's hard to give like a reason why I can handle like the stuff that this show puts out in terms of like basically depicting murders in the same way that it depicts sort of like the sumptuous costumes and sort of the concert scenes and um, like the food and all that. Like it's all kind of part of the overall, really overcomplicated, symbol filled kind of aesthetic. But there's like the vast majority of other shows that I see that try this sort of thing. I'm just like either bored or disgusted by. And um, I guess we don't know the alchemy of the human soul. <laughs> we have not solved that problem in this one hour <laughs> podcast. Strangely, if we do figure out the answer to that, we will let you all know that would be a big coup for us because we yes. would make a lot of money. <laughs> Um, I'm really proud of how civil we have been in this discussion. <laughs> I think this was really good. I was worried that it was going to get fraught, and I think we did a good job. <laughs> I think this was pretty good. <laughs> um, Jessica, I hope that you enjoyed this. <laughs> Thank you again for uh, sponsoring it. Several months ago, we got this request. Um, we apologize for the delay. Oscar season is kind of a tricky time to be mm-hmm. doing um, request podcasts. But uh, when we got it, I think I forwarded you the email and was like, your dream has come true. Because <laughs> yeah. this was the only way we were going to do a Hannibal podcast. It's like the only show where there's loads of stuff that I love where gifts show up on Tumblr all the time. And usually I'm like, I've seen this gift before and I don't care. And every time I see a Hannibal gif or a little like post, I'll be like, wow, there's so much in this gif I can just really dig my teeth into. Like there's so <laughs> so many things that I didn't notice before. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, we've done it. We we've have. Success. Succeeded. Next week. Us by Jordan Peele. Yes. I'm very excited. Oh, so excited. Um, I've heard some really interesting things about this movie. I'm very curious about it. Um, I've heard it's good and thought-provoking, but I have not even watched the trailer because I'm a huge trailer spoiler-phobe. Uh, it would have been impossible to avoid that trailer at movie theaters in the United States for the past three months, so I have indeed seen it. I think the trailer is interesting. I actually don't think it's a very well-cut trailer. 
which was when it dropped, everyone was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And I don't, it was one of those things where the material was clearly good and interesting, but the trailer itself, I don't actually think it's a very good trailer. So, but most people don't think that deeply about it. <laughs> Correct. And um, I think everyone's just so excited because it's the get out follow up that. And Lupita Nyongo is in a real movie. <laughs> Correct. And it could literally just have been a trailer of anything and people would have been crazy about it. Which yeah, is- they could have done like Alfred Hitchcock's psycho trailer where he intentionally doesn't tell you what happens in the film. It's just Jordan Peele stands in an empty set and introduces Lupita Nyong'o and is like, come on in. And everyone would have been like, oh my God, which is not a criticism, I understand. But um, I'm actually kind of glad I didn't think the trailer was like the best thing I've ever seen because I don't want to go into this movie with expectations that are nuts because it's not going to be get out and that's fine. But I'm really looking forward to it, and I love Lupita, and I'm glad she's getting work that's real and not a CGI creature. Uh, If you would like to support us on Patreon, or perhaps request that we watch something that you would like us to watch. We've had some really good requests recently, because like obviously Hannibal's a really good request, but our next one is the big one, which is Captain America the Winter Soldier plus audio commentary for patreon the people to listen to so um yeah had some really good ones basically i think like to for the criteria for people to request i think just think about whether you think it would make a good podcast yes is it something you would like listening to us talk about (laughs) i highly recommend choosing movies and not television this worked because i had seen those two seasons already Mm -hmm. and then it was not hard to like i read the descriptions of the episodes on amazon and then watch the finale and like it was it was not confusing at all but it's just harder with tv yeah i mean unless it's one of these british miniseries where they're like it's three episodes then <laughs> yeah obviously or if it's something you know that we have watched so if you would like to do that or subscribe at a lower level to hear for instance our commentary about captain america yeah we've got Soldier. a lot of shit on there now we've got a lot of lot of patreon minisodes and, and blog posts and what have you yeah uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Uh, Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work on the internet? You can find my writing on the Daily Dot. You can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me on Twitter at ML Davies. You can find the podcast on Twitter at overinvestedpod. We also have a website, overinvestedpodcast.com, and a Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks again. Bye.